Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. I want to welcome you back to the program again today and thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us every week. I trust that you are being blessed by the Word of God that we're sharing. I know that we're digging into some things probably deeper than many of you have been used to, but I believe it's time that we search the deep things, the, 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 the unsearchable riches of Christ and just dig into those things. I don't know about, I don't know about you, but I love that. Uh, I want to just encourage you because we're going to come back in. This will be our third segment uh, on Hebrews, the 10th chapter. We've been teaching the book of Hebrews for many weeks now. We've probably done about four segments almost on every program. Some, uh, uh, some chapters we've done five programs on. Uh, I don't think it's going to take five, I hope not, to do chapter 10 because we're really wanting to get into this. But if you have missed any of these programs and you'd like to go back and review what we've taught, they are archived uh, at, on YouTube for your uh, you know, uh, viewing pleasure anytime you'd like. The easiest way to do it, the easiest way I know how to tell you, is simply go to my website at lenhouse.com and in the upper right-hand corner, there is an icon that says YouTube. Just click on that. Or well, the opening page has a video screen, and it looks like this TV studio. If you tap on that, it will take you directly to our YouTube channel. And there are hundreds of programs that are archived there, uh, numbered and dated. And uh, you can go back and watch. Anything we've aired to date is there uh, for you to watch for free, and we just encourage you to do that. And I believe if you share it with your friends, share it on your Facebook page, page please do that. We want you to do that. And, uh, you know, help us get the word out that way. Uh, also, uh, if you can't do it that way, and you say, well, I, want, I don't have time to sit down and watch that, but I spend a lot of time in my car driving to work or commuting, then let me just suggest that you go sign up for our podcast on iTunes. And once again, the easiest way to do that is to go to our website. Upper right-hand corner, there's an iTunes icon. You can go there and sign up for our podcast, subscribe to it. It is free of charge also. And you can listen to the audio portion of this program and any of our programs for free while you're driving to work or you're mowing your lawn or you're jogging or you're exercising. Just a good way to do it. You say, well, I don't have either one of those. Well, if you have an Android device, we have it also available and an RSS feed at the same location. Just go to my website and uh, there is an icon there for the Android device. Uh, there is a whole host while you're there at our website. There is a whole host of information. There's an itinerary of places we're going to be where we preach when we travel. We travel all the time. We're coming to a city near you. And if you'd like to be in one of our meetings, please uh, you know, go check our website out and it will tell you where we're going to be and conferences and such that we're doing. I believe you'll be blessed by that as well as looking at uh, there's a, a whole host of CDs and audio downloads and video and all kind of stuff that's on our website that I believe will be a blessing to you as resources. And just know that when you do that and you purchase some of our products, our books, or, or you sow seed into this ministry, you are part of doing something, I believe, huge that helps people around the globe to be able to hear this level of the gospel 
We're not putting anybody else down, but we're, we're staying in our assignment doing what God told us to do, and I believe that we're doing something that not everybody is doing, and I believe that uh, people need to hear that. So if you help us get the Word out, we deeply appreciate it. Now, I'm going to get in the Word right now, and I want to go to chapter 10. We're going to begin reading here, chapter 10 of the book of Hebrews. It says, For the law having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices which they'd offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered, because that the worshippers once purged should have had no more conscience of sin. But in those sacrifices there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering, thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I come in the volume of the book, it is written of me to do thy will, O God. Above when he said, Sacrifice and offering and burnt offering and offering for sin, thou wouldest not, neither had pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every high priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sin. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God from henceforth, expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering he has perfected forever them that are sanctified. I want to just make a few comments here. Let me, let me uh, before I move on down in, into the next area of this. This chapter, of course, you know, again, I've told you already, Hebrews is already bunches of times I've shared this with you, is telling you what is better about the new covenant in comparison with the old. We start out in chapter 1 and 2 and 3 where Jesus is better than Moses. He's better than angels. He's better than Joshua. He, there's a better tabernacle. There's better promises. There's a better priesthood. There's better offerings. Now he's dealing with the fact that there is an offering that has perfected forever them that are sanctified. And that we, go, we, we shared with you last week how that perfection was not based on your performance, but you were perfected forever on the basis of the sacrifice of Jesus. He said in verse number 10 that for, he says in verse number 10, I believe it is, by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So our sanctification is based on the blood of Jesus and the offering of the body of Jesus Christ who offered Himself to God for our, our sins and iniquities. He offered Himself as a sacrifice. A body hast thou prepared for me, but by the offering of the body of Jesus Christ we were sanctified. So our sanctification was not based on our performance, it was based on an offering. And then we see in verse 14 again, for by one offering he has perfected forever. He has perfected forever. Let me say it again. He has perfected forever them who are sanctified. 
And so, so what we see is that our perfection and our sanctification is based on the sacrifice of Jesus, not on our performance. And the thing that, I, that caught my attention, I was reading through verse 12, said, but this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down. I want to point this out. He sat down on the right hand of God, from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. And what I want to say, there's several things I want to say here. First of all is that he, for, he has perfected forever them that are sanctified. But what we must understand is that the offerings and the sacrifice must be appropriated. We must apply the blood. We must identify with his death through water baptism. In other words, the gospel is both the way of grace and the walk of faith. It seems almost when you read the scripture like it's a paradox because one place says, let's go on to perfection, and then the next place says, he's perfected forever them that are sanctified. Of course, I shared with you in Hebrews 6 that the word perfection there is not a verb. It's not something you're doing. It's a noun. It's something that is already a state of being. And we are perfected because of who we are in. But then we see, uh, we see other places where it seems to talk about going on or being matured, or uh, I think Paul would say in Philippians, uh, it's not as though I'd already attained or were already made perfect. Yet, however, uh, what Paul is saying there is, I need to appropriate what's already true of me, because the context of uh, Philippians 3 is that he's saying to them uh, in Hebrews, uh, not, not Hebrews, but in Philippians chapter 3, he's saying to them that I have to leave all of what I thought. I had to count it all as done that I might be found in Christ, not having my own righteousness, which is a product of the law, but mine which is through the faith of Jesus Christ. And he talks about uh, pressing towards the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. So all of that is still in Christ, but it's him appropriating. And he goes on down in Philippians 3 and says, not as though I were already perfect, but I press that I might be found in him. I'm not even quoting it right. I'm not doing it justice here on that aspect. What I'm simply, let me try to do it from this viewpoint. We find out what is true, just like I said in the last, last week's program, <coughs> when I used the analogy of Rachel and Leah. It is not a doing to be. It is finding out that you already be. And because you be, then you do. In other words, when you realize your new identity is new creation, you're going to live like a new creation. When you find out I am righteous, faith is going to be appropriated, and you're going to act like you're righteous. The dynamic duo of the gospel is grace and faith. So let me say this to you. It is both grace and faith. It is both objective and subjective. You say, well, what do you mean? The objective side of the gospel, or the way of grace, is what God did in Christ without any help from you. That I call the way of grace. That's the objective side of, of, of the gospel. That's the sovereignty side. Of, that's where God did it without any help from you. The faith side of it is the subjective side, where it says, this is true. But because this is true, what God provided by grace... I'm going to access through faith. So in other words, once I realize that God has provided perfection for me, and I believe that, 
then what happens is, is when I believe it, I start to act out and live out of my perfection. I believe this is where all the arguments at in the body of Christ now. We either overemphasize the objective side, the sovereignty side, the grace of God's side, and we, we, we put all of the emphasis on this side of it, and we get out of balance with extremes of sovereignty where it's, you know, uh, I mean, to the point of, well, I, you know, even, well, God predestined and God predetermined some to go to heaven, some to go to hell. And I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to pick a fight here. But I want to say to you that even the places where we pulled that predestination idea from, it's not necessarily dealing with individuals being predestined or predetermined to go to heaven or hell. It was Paul writing in Romans and in, I believe it is Colossians, and he's saying to them that God predestined and predetermined that the Gentiles would be included in the covenants of promise. That was what was predetermined. But inside of the sovereignty of God, see what we do is we, we make this either or. And if you overemphasize the sovereignty side, you're just going to say, you know, if whatever, hey, if God wants it, that's what's going to be. It has no free will involved in it, nothing at all. But see, that, it, that side of it can lead, I believe, to a lot of error. Now let's look at the other side. The subjective side is the faith side. It's me believing what's true here and appropriating it through faith. In other words, I believe that Jesus is my Savior. So what do I do with that? I appropriate by faith and, and receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness that makes me reign in life. I, I by faith, you know, I, I go through, if you will, the steps of water baptism, which are my acknowledging of the fact that His death was my death, and my faith says, I'm going to go down in the waters of baptism as a covenant connector and to testify by faith that I'm bearing an old man and I'm raised in the newness of life. Uh, it's like, for instance, you know, in the Old Testament, again, the way of grace is the very first piece of furniture that God told Moses to make was the mercy seat. It was not the altar. It was not the brazen labor. It was the mercy seat because it was God saying, this tabernacle of Moses and this mercy seat is, first of all, not primarily about man's approach to God. This is about God approaching man. In other words, it is God initiating something. I love him today because he first loved me. So God first comes out and initiates a mercy seat. That's the way of grace. The walk of faith is, I come in. God is coming out. The mercy seat's in the most holy place. And the mercy seat was the first piece of furniture, the blood of sprinkling. That's what Hebrews was talking about. Jesus was our mercy seat. And so God was initiating something to get to you and I where we could draw nice. That's what this whole 10th chapter of Hebrews is about. So we could draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. God was reaching out saying, listen, here you go. I'm going to make this a gift. I'm going to put you on right standing with me. I'm going to sanctify you. I'm going to perfect you. Our response to that is the walk of faith. God comes out with the mercy seat, but you and I come in. So if you can see the tabernacle of Moses with all of its furniture, and you see God reaching out to man, but I see man approaching God then, and his response to mercy and grace is he comes to the brazen altar and applies the blood. I believe this is the missing piece for a lot of people. This is why we got all these strange doctrines going on. It's because we don't realize we need to receive. The book of Galatians especially, the key words are promise, receive, inheritance. You need to receive the abundance of grace. 
You need to, you know, understand that Romans chapter 5, Romans 5, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. That's the sovereignty side. That's the grace side. That's the side God did without your help. That's the, that's the way of grace. That's the, uh, that's the objective side of the gospel. But the subjective side is, the latter part of that says, be ye reconciled to God. In other words, we receive by faith. And then chapter 6 of Romans, again, is the subjective side where he says, reckon yourselves then to be dead to sin and alive to God. So the objective side is the way of grace. The subjective side is the walk of faith. It is not either or. See, if you overemphasize faith and you don't preach grace, you're going to get into works, labor, sweat, formulas. Did you say it right? Did you hold your mouth right when you say it? Did you, are you believing to make something happen? No, I'm not believing to make something happen. I'm believing because something's already true of me. I'm not believing. See, the objective side of the gospel, if I could say it like this, is by whose stripes you were healed. That's done. That's the grace. That's the supply side. But my foot's hurting, or I'm struggling with something in my body. You're watching me today. Say, man, I know these scriptures, but I'm, something's happening in my body that's not in alignment with that. Well, see, the, the, the subjective side of that is the walk of faith, where you grab by faith what He has freely supplied by grace. And we supply both faith and grace, because one without the other will get into the extremes of free will, and uh, like I said, formulas and sweat and labor, the over-extremes of emphasizing grace without faith is uh, extremes of sovereignty. I mean, they're the lifelong arguments of the most church worlds. But it's not either or. It's both of them held in a careful tension. And that's why he could say in Hebrews 12, after he had offered one sacrifice for sin, sat down, henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. So he did it, finished it, sat down, and was waiting see, to somebody to appropriate by faith what he has provided by grace. And that's the admonishment that's going on in Hebrews here. Is he's telling them, don't you go back to Judaism, and don't you go back to the laws of Moses and the animal sacrifices to try to get something that I've already freely provided for you by grace without it. You just need to stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ has made you free. You need to nevertheless, whereto you've already attained, walk by that rule. Live out of what is already true about you. Access by faith what's already been given by grace. I can remember the first time that I ever taught some of this. I was in Trinidad, West Indies, and I put a $20 bill on the altar, which was 120 of their dollars. And I said, this $20 bill has been freely provided by grace. You didn't earn this. It's anybody that wants this can come get it. Well, it took a little while for people to believe that. But once they believed that truly was true, the first person came up and grabbed that $20 bill. And I said, good. You know, th you know, so they started to hand it back to me. I said, no, no. That $20 bill was given to you by grace. That's yours. I laid another $20 bill on the, on the altar. I said, now that's provided freely by grace. Anybody that wants it can have it. And man, it didn't take long. That time they ran up there and grabbed the $20 bill. And I didn't take it back. It was truly a free gift. But see, they had to access they had to believe that that was true, to access that grace by faith. And I, then I pulled out a box of tissues. I said, this box of tissues represents what God has fully provided for us in healing for our bodies. And if you want it, come and get it. And you know what? People begin to come get them tissues. And although they were just tissues, their faith was accessing it, and people got miracles. It's the same way with salvation. 
It's by faith, it is by grace through faith that we're saved. It is both of them held in a careful tension. So when he says he's from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool, that's the subjective side and waiting on us to appropriate what he's already provided by grace. The second thing I want to point out is that when he did this, he sat down. And uh, when, when I read this, that really boomed in my spirit because he said, I, he said to me, the Lord said to me, I sat down. I said, well, that's wonderful that you sat down. He said, no, you don't understand that every priest standeth daily. He, chapter 10 says, every priest standeth daily offering the same sacrifices for sin. So the fact that he's sitting down tells me that he doesn't have to stand up and keep offering the same sacrifices over and over. That means the work has been done. It has been completed. It has been finished. Now he sits down expecting till his enemies are made his footstool. He's expecting. And then the second thing that hit me about this is that, 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 that I, wrote, I actually wrote it in my notes. I said that, you know, the fact that he's sitting down ought to show us that even uh, it, where he talks about that every man must appear before the judgment, watch this, seat of Christ. So the fact that he's seated ought to tell us something good. And that is that we can have boldness in the day of judgment as believers, because as he is, so are we in this present world. So the fact that he's seated ought to give us boldness that this judgment seat has now become a mercy seat. And that really, if you go back and you study the whole concept of the judgment seat, it really was not the place where men are necessarily judged for their sin, but they are judged in order to receive a reward. It's like a runner who receives a reward uh, for accomplishing a winning task. But the fact that he's seated ought to speak volumes to us. And so I think that's pretty good stuff. And he goes on to talk about then, in this case, a, a brand new covenant I'm going to make, your sins and iniquities I will remember no more. Having therefore, brethren, verse 19, enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he has consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. We can come boldly. And having a high priest over the house of God, Let us draw near with a full heart, full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, our bodies washed with pure water. Let me, before I go on, let me, let me hit this as well. We can have boldness that He is the way. He hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, His flesh. I was thinking, when I was thinking about, again, this, this perfection, I was thinking about uh, John chapter 10. John chapter 10, verse 1 says, Verily, verily, I say to you, he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. And he goes on down. He, let me just make that clear again. He said, the same is a thief and a robber. Who's the thief and a robber? He that climbs up some other way. And he goes on to say, I am the door. I'm the gate into the sheepfold. By me, if any man enter, he will find pasture. And then he goes on in chapter 9 and says, I am come that you might have life, that you might have it more abundantly. But the thief cometh not, verse 10, John 10, 10, for the thief cometh not, but for to kill, to steal, and to destroy. But I am come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Now, let me say this to you. Now, I don't want to make anybody mad, but I just, I just need to point this out. John chapter 10, 
never mentions the devil. The thief of John 10 is not the devil. The thief of John 10 is in verse 1. If you try to climb up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. And then verse 10, for the thief cometh not but for to kill, to steal, and to destroy. The thief of John 10 is when you think there's some other way into this sheepfold than through the way that I'm, this new and living way, which he's consecrated through the veil, that is to say his flesh. The only way in is through Jesus. The contrast here is, the chapters previous to that is, you think you can make it in by the works of the law, but the works of the law and trying to think you can make it in through religious activities and performance-based, law-based, old covenant ideas is going to be a thief and a robber to you. It is the way that seems right to a man, and the end thereof is destruction. I begin to think about this even in context of a chapter or so before that where Jesus said, Straight is the gate, narrow is the way that leads to life. He didn't say that leads to heaven, it leads to life. And few there be that find it. Broad is the way, wide is the gate that leads to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. And I hear people say, man, I'm going to come to your church because I need to get back on the straight and narrow. And what they think that means is I need to get back on the straightener. I need to get back on this performance-based, you know, uh, stringent rules, strict, you know, adherence to a code. And, and, and they think that that straight and narrow is performance. That straight and narrow way is not a performance-based old covenant access to the kingdom. The straight and narrow is Jesus. He is the way. He is the truth, and He is the way that leads to life. And few there be in that first century that were finding that way to life. There was few that was entering in through the straight gate, through the blood of Jesus, where they would have boldness to come and say, you know what, I'm going to receive life and that more abundantly. See, the whole point here is life. When you get this life in you, this, when you get this life of Jesus in you, this life of Jesus will do the work. The old covenant is full of demand. The new covenant is full of supply. And when you receive this life, hallelujah, then you can come boldly to the throne of grace. You can have, as he goes on to say, you can come with your heart sprinkled with true assurance of faith, having your heart sprinkled with evil conscience, bodies with, washed with pure water. You'll be able to hold fast the profession of your faith without wavering and not back down from what is true of you because of what Christ has done. We're out of time again. I'm just amazed. But I just take a moment to call the number on the screen or go to our website, write us a letter, an email, whatever. But uh, if you'd like to help us to continue to preach the gospel like this on television, uh, we need your help. And your generous gift is what helps us do it. If you notice, we spend very little time raising money, but we do need your help. And we believe God is able to lay it on the hearts of people who appreciate what we're saying and doing to be able to do this. So if you could do that, you could go and set up even a monthly debit. If you'd like to become a monthly partner, go to our website. There's a way to do that easily. You can order our products online, get our books. We have several books that are available and they'll be a blessing to you. And everything that you get like that helps us to further the gospel uh, around the world. So take a moment and go take a look at our website and, and order some things. So seed in the ministry, and we appreciate it. God bless you. 
I'm very excited to announce the release of my newest book. It is titled From Law to Grace, A Kingdom Paradigm Shift. In this book, we talk about how the gospel is not about a law you have to keep. It is about receiving a life that will keep you. It is not about living this life out of fear. It is about living a life of faith. It is not about rules. It's about a relationship with a loving father. It is about moving from the old covenant government of condemnation to the new covenant government of affirmation. It is about living life as a citizen of the kingdom right now.